Welcome to episode 148 where we are going to be talking about intermittent fasting for women because you may have heard that women should not intermittent fast because it's going to mess up your hormones. And interestingly, if you don't do it correctly, much like not doing any other health regime correctly, it actually just might interrupt your hormones, which is why I want to introduce you to the nuances and differences that women should be taking into account in order to include intermittent fasting into their monthly health routine, which I genuinely think most women should be to achieve optimal health. Do you want to get cracking with this? All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Good to have you back here on the show with me, where it is my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be their healthiest self before the end of December 2021. And so, as you may or may not know by now, if you're a regular listener to the show, well, and if you're new, guess what? I'm into intermittent fasting and intermittent fasting is a big portion of both the group program and the one-on-one program that I run and a little bit of background from how I got into it personally. So, the way in which I got into learning about fasting and and just became curious in the beginning was when I first realized that at the cancer hospital that I worked at, obesity was the number one biggest precursor to getting that particular disease and not just at the, the hospital that I worked at but you know, the globe over. And it was pretty obvious that, that, you know, most people were overweight or obese when I walked through the clinic waiting rooms every single day. It was blatantly obvious. Uh, it, it was upon realizing this for me that people that get cancer and not only cancer but diabetes, Alzheimer's, insert the type of disease, many of the people, the very vast majority, uh, and it's actually kind of the same situation with, you know, that thing that's happening in the world right now, the vast majority of people were in fact obese. And so, I thought if obesity is the issue, then obviously it's people are eating too much food. So, then let's figure out the food piece was my thinking. And this is where I ran into some old belief systems that I too had rooted in my belief about science and food and nutrition. And you might have had some of these too. So, when I realized that the people were potentially creating their own disease state by eating too much. I was like, let's just fix the food. It's that easy. Uh-uh. You run into these belief systems which kind of inhibit that process happening if you don't deal with them. Things like, I need to eat six times a day, three meals, three snacks to keep your metabolism up. Heard that one? I can imagine that you're probably nodding right now. Or you need to keep a stable blood sugar. And to do that, you must keep piling in food. Have all of these snacks. Make sure you've got snacks in your handbag. Make sure you, there's, there's going to be food venues near where you're going to go because we need to get that blood sugar back up the second it drops. Imagine what they did 1,000 years ago, by the way, without jelly beans. <laughs> How on earth did humans survive? <laughs> but all the idea that grains, the grains that they feed to fatten up cattle to produce more meat were the same grains that they were telling us to pour in our breakfast bowls every single day or have as bread or toast or whatever and trying to convince us that these same grains that they use to make cattle fat are the grains that are going to keep us healthy and, you know, not fat. Skinny, basically. They're all marketing myths. And this is just a a drop in the ocean. There's so many that I could talk about. But I realized when I got to the food piece for for people, they had all of these beliefs around food. And so did I at the time. And so I thought, oh, you know, at this point, 
firstly, these pe- the beliefs that people are holding are as, as a result of marketing myths. And these marketing myths at this point in time are not even myths anymore. They're just straight up capitalist lies. And it runs really deep in families, uh, you know, parents, grandparents, people have been parroting this stuff um, and listening to it from the people that they love and respect for a very long time. So, it's deeply entrenched. And so, I realized that people were putting in a nutshell too much food in their mouths with too much frequency, eating too much too often. And in those foods, there was a nutritional split that was not reflective of what natural food should have. And, you know, we, we get into the, the woo-woo vibes for some people when you start talking about natural and nature. And humans, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, we are totally animals. Yes, we've, we're just a bit smarter and we live inside, but we're not meant to, right? This is not meant to happen. It's the same with the, the food that we've put in our body. Much of what we put in our body was absolutely foreign to our entire the entire genome of the entire planet you know just over a hundred years ago so for millions of years humans have been evolving and our genes have been evolving and monkeys have been evolving and lived and eaten these natural foods from mother earth you know from nature which is exactly what a farm is it's just you know organized nature (laughs) really i mean if we could get into a whole conversation about bayer and monsanto but that's a conversation for another day but the point is that the foods we have today, and I noticed people putting too much and too often, that the foods they were putting in did not have a natural split of their micro and macronutrients. It wasn't reflective of the split you would find in nature. And almost all of these foods include high refined sugar and carbohydrates and the hyper-damaging vegetable oils which occur virtually nowhere in nature. They're not a natural thing whatsoever and they're quite devastating. These vegetable oils, and they're often a base ingredient in in health foods as well, believe it or not. This is why I think vegetable oils are actually worse than sugar. Sugar's also catastrophic. Anyway, the moral of the story is, in addition to all of that, that they were very low in micronutrients as well. So, we're in this situation where basically we're putting heaps of energy into the body. So, they're high energy food with very low nutrition. And I'm sure you're aware that fuel is not the only currency of the body. Yes, energy is important, but without all the other nutrition, it doesn't support the entire functioning of the system. Think about it like a car, right? Yes, the fuel is important to keep the car going and moving forward. However, If you don't top up the coolant, the power steering fluid, the engine oil, and the brake fluid, then the car will inevitably break down and putting more fuel in the tank is not going to make the car go anywhere if the other nutritional pieces are deficient or empty. Okay, it's the same for the human body. Insert, rock up to a doctor's appointment and get a diagnosis or go to a disease center, you know. That's what will inevitably happen if you just focus on the fuel and not the nutrition. They're two separate pieces, I think. Thus... The idea of intermittent fasting to me was really resonated because coming from this disease context background um, and, you know, having loved ones in my family that were, you know, disease ridden, learning about this, I came from a place of understanding that the body needs a break, right? I didn't come from a fat loss place, although that's the way that it's mainly used because when people are looking to solve their health issues, they often start with body image, right? So, to me, the more space that the body had to focus on healing each day rather than digestion was a great thing. The gastrointestinal tract is a rather large portion of your entire body (laughs) and when it's requiring the blood supply, the enzymes and all the energy all day long to digest as many meals as you put into it or snacks, then of course, by default, it is neglecting some of the other areas like good sleep good brain function, good immunity, good blood sugar management, good injury recovery, good focus, disease fighting mechanisms, all of the things that could be working on instead. 
This doesn't mean, of course, that those things don't happen at all. It just means it gets more and more difficult over time with the accumulation of deficiency of both micronutrients and a lack of actual time for the body to have space to do this work. And so I feel that my discovering of intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding was more from a place of holistic all-round health and disease recovery and prevention as opposed to just how do I get skinny, which is generally not the best psychology to use to achieve any goal as it lacks emotional depth and therefore will be unsustainable by nature. And so the two questions that I hear most frequently are, can women intermittent fast? And secondly, and potentially more importantly, should women intermittent fast? Now, I'm going to dive into the long answer, but the short answer is yes. Firstly, I want to acknowledge a really crappy truth about the world we live in. Marketing, branding, and advertising works best when it's polarizing. I've been in so many business trainings where this has been explained in depth. Because if it is polarizing, it makes you reactive and therefore, the more you identify with the opposite thing that you're reacting to, the more likely you are to buy because you have a belief that this polarizing thing speaks to you. It's why the marketing campaign for the world's biggest invasion of body sovereignty over the last two years has been so successful. It's divisive and polarizing. And so, in this world of nutrition, it's the same. I've had business coaches tell me I need to be less honest and less realistic in what I do to get more clients. But for me, that's not my jam. Integrity is so important to me and being honest and truthful is really important. So, for me, I kind of rebel against that, which is why this whole podcast exists, right? It's about the truth, right? I always am driven by the truth. And so, the world of nutrition is polarizing. Every single pocket of the nutrition world has a little cult. Vegan, carnivore, vegetarian, pescatarian, insert whichever diet you think's cool at the time. They hate one another you know, in the extremes. So, yes, some people's genetics are better for those diets, but it doesn't mean it's the best choice they could be making. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you might have great genetics that support vegetarianism. It doesn't mean vegetarianism is the best thing to support you though. So, these extremes are in the nutrition world as well. And so, my point is that it's exactly the same as the in the intermittent fasting space. Women shouldn't fast or it's bad. You know, all of these extreme conclusive statements. And look, let's be honest, as humans, we like them. That's why polarizing marketing works because it simplifies things. I should not do that. There's no confusion there, right? Fasting is bad. There's, it's a complete conclusion, right? It just makes total sense. You're like, oh, okay, I won't do that. Uh, and unfortunately, our bodies are so complex so molecularly driven emotionally and spiritually and physically and biologically that you can't possibly have a conclusive statement in three or four words that is relevant to the complexity of the human body. This is why reality and marketing, they're not friends. (laughs) So, my point is though, I just want to preface it with that because remember, whenever you hear anyone speak in infinite terms, everything or nothing, it's especially in the nutrition world, it's probably vastly inaccurate. It's probably got a, you know, a scaring of truth for about 0.1% of people that, that, that has genetics that pertain to that extreme statement. But most of us need a little bit from everything, right? The irony about that is that I'm about to make a finite statement <laughs> because unless you're eating 24 hours a day, which is going to be very few people, every human on the planet is actually intermittent fasting. It's a natural cycle between eating and not eating. It's not a diet. It doesn't prescribe a particular type of food or a particular type of food group, though it is improved greatly by the right diet, especially for women. I find, particularly for the ladies, I find low to moderate carb, high fat to be the best 
with the primary focus being on protein. But again, different variations will be different for different people at different times of their monthly cycle. So, why would you want to intermittently fast in the first place as a woman? Well, let's have a look. I have a bit of a list here for you. And some of this pertains to men. Some of this pertains to women. Some of it pertains to everyone. So, it's a good list. Tell your friends. (laughs) All right. First up, reduces the likelihood of getting and can improve neurodegenerative disease states like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, particularly with Alzheimer's uh, being called type 3 diabetes. Now, it has a strong link to that high sugar, high carbohydrate, high vegetable oil diet. And so, creating times in your schedule where the insulin drops, where you don't have space in the diet with these toxic foods running through your system is hyper beneficial to your nervous system, your brain, and all your neurological pathways, which, you know, when degenerate, contribute to neurodegenerative disease. Next, talking about this, of course, leads me to the benefits that you can experience in a state of diabetes and obesity. Intermittent fasting the right way can quickly turn things around for people that are overweight and diabetic because, again, it lowers your insulin and blood sugar and uses a greater percentage of your body fat as fuel to do all the things you need to. The concept of eating to keep your metabolism up or eating to keep your blood sugar stable is a bit of a marketing myth, as we touched on before. Your liver, through a process called gluconeogenesis, builds sugar molecules when you don't have any coming in from the diet. Believe it or not, this is not your body's first rodeo. (laughs) It's got you. It's got you covered. However, of course, if you are significantly down the dysfunctional or disease path, then we need to be slow in how we dig our way out of it. Yes, things can be turned around quickly, but you need to pace yourself. It's very, very important. Otherwise, we're going to plateau, destabilize things. It's not going to go well. You've got to be strategic because, again, the body's complex. Speaking of burning body fat, and dietary fat as fuel, a very commonly reported benefit of intermittent fasting is that focus and productivity go up. It's the reason a lot of entrepreneurs and academics like the benefits of intermittent fasting and then the add-on of the ketogenic diet as well because both of those things allow you to burn the abundantly rich source of fat as fuel, body fat as fuel or dietary fat over, it prioritizes it over burning sugar with the removal of sugar from the system. Not entirely. That's a nuance, but we'll talk about that later. Think of sugar as kind of like twigs on a fire. They light up easy, but they also disappear really quickly. They burn fast. Whereas burning fat as your primary fuel source, once you finally get there, it's like the log on the fire. Takes a while to get going. Takes a while for it to catch fire. But once it does, it burns for ages. Of course, these mental clarity benefits that come through because your brain thrives on these ketogenic molecules are much harder to come by if you intermittent fast but still eat really crappy high sugar, high vegetable oil, high carb foods. Intermittent fasting doesn't have to be matched with great nutrition, but let's be honest, you'd be a goose not to have... uh good nutrition as part of this protocol, right? (laughs) It also lowers inflammation and oxidative stress, otherwise known as free radical damage, which is the cause of all sorts of dismay in the body. And one theory of death is actually that the body gets to a point of being overcome with free radical damage forever. It just hits this threshold and literally dies, irrelevant of the disease cause. That's, That's one theory. Speaking of lowering inflammation... Speaking of lowering inflammation, it also allows autophagy, which is cellular recycling to happen, which is one of the most important benefits in my gut health and disease prevention opinion. And I actually did an episode explaining autophagy on episode 90. So, when you're done here, jump on the app, give it a scroll back to episode 90 and check out that for a deep dive. 
It also improves sleep in two ways. So studies show that it increases the amount of time spent in REM sleep, so rapid eye movement, and thus you should be waking up more rested and recovered. And additionally, with an increased fasting window, your body should be well past the digestion phase before you actually go to sleep. So many people go to bed with food in their bellies and it leads to poorer sleep because of the body temperature cannot drop as you know as low as it should when you sleep as it needs to keep the fire burning to churn through the food that you've put into your belly. And now you're lying down as well. So you've just added a layer of complexity so to give your gut more work to do again. So it can really improve your sleep this way by creating space between food time and bedtime. I think that's a really important thing. Um, and it, again, it will take a while for you to get used to that feeling in your body. People do it the first time and they're like, oh, I couldn't really sleep because you've conditioned your body to be one way. It also boosts growth hormone and promotes anabolism, which generates new cells and slows the aging process down, which can be packaged up nicely by saying it can keep you younger for longer. (laughs) And I've had a heap of clients that have told me at the end that their friends or different people that, you know, they see regularly saying that they now look healthier and younger than they did 10 years ago, which is amazing, obviously. And so, the benefits happen because intermittent fasting creates space. That's my belief. It creates space fundamentally on lots of different planes and levels of the body. The fundamental cause of many of the ills and ails and disease that many people have uh, or, or that you might have experienced before, in my experience and in my opinion, as I said in the intro, is as a result of consuming too much of the wrong food too often, leading to weight gain, dysfunction and destruction all over the body. That in conjunction with a lifetime of unmanaged and unreleased stress and emotional beliefs about oneself. So, that's why it might be an amazing thing to add into your, uh, you know, regime. But now, let's get into some women-specific stuff. So, disclaimer, women are not little men, believe it or not. Funnily enough, (laughs) you're not little men. And a lot of the data out there in the health and wellness and and intermittent fasting space right now is male dominant. And as, as a woman, you're a lot more sensitive and I mean biologically and look, you're often more emotionally mature than most grown-up adult men as well. <laughs> I can see you nodding away right now. <laughs> you know, you know. But you're more sensitive because your body is designed to grow human bodies. And that's kind of a big deal. Doing that isn't a small project. And to be able to repeatedly equip you to do that, you obviously have a monthly menstrual cycle, which has different phases, weeks, hormonal profiles, and nutritional priorities. So, you're not little men though many of the same benefits can be achieved by navigating the intermittent fasting space correctly. So, I've got a bunch of things here. We're going to start with number one. The first thing is to clarify the difference between the states starving, low-calorie and fasting. So, this is more of a psychological aspect to get right for women, but I think women are more damaged by the diet culture world than men. However, men are too, don't get me wrong. The diet world has been very cruel, misleading and ill-informing when it comes to weight loss and really all temporary quick fixes often end up making the problem worse or fixing it and creating a group of new problems like when going vegan feels great for a few weeks but then causes gut issues because plant-based diets reduce stomach acid or when going to the gym and absolutely smashing yourself feels good for a couple of days but you're not losing any weight because in order to get to the gym, you sacrifice another hour of your already sleep depri- of your already sleep deprived sleep routine. There are so many examples, and many of them are underpinned by the idea that eating less and moving more will solve all of your problems. So let's get clear on these definitions. Okay, one: starving should be an involuntary thing. This classification is sadly common in second and third world countries where f- getting food into the body 
is of great limitation and it creates significant and devastating and life-altering nutritional deficiencies. Equally, in the Western world and in first world countries, and of course, this is possible in other countries as well, but people that are anorexic, bulimic and orthorexic can end up in this situation too. So, some complex emotional eating stuff can lead to starvation. But starvation should be involuntary on a conscious level. The next one is low calorie. So, this leads to nutritional deficiencies in, as well in conjunction with exacerbating or creating a toxic psychological relationship with food and feeling obsessive or controlled by food. Physically speaking, there is a lot of hunger involved and I'm yet to find somebody who felt that their life got better from being hungry all of the time or multiple times a day. So, low-calorie diets are mostly... Highlight there, the operative word is mostly. Mostly not helpful. And a message to all those personal trainers out there that bang on the calorie deficit drum. Yeah, in a one-dimensional and scientific world, you might be right. You might be right. It might be all about the calorie deficit, bro. But let me ask you this. Since we've been able to monitor and track calories using technology, has the world gotten leaner and fitter or fatter and sicker? Exactly right. Focusing on cutting calories is not helpful for most women. And the final one is fasting. Now, fasting and intermittent fasting, which I'll use interchangeably throughout this episode, unlike starving, fasting is voluntary. And yes, if you fast too long, of course, it will become starving. However, we live in the Western world. We live in abundance. It's highly unlikely that that will happen, assuming that you have healthy psychology and a relatively healthy relationship with food. However, the fast during intermittent fasting, you will not be long enough to actually be starving. And that's what we want. No starvation stress signals coming from the brain to the body. However, disclaimer here, ladies, is that the way to do this correctly is to not fall into the diet culture trap of eat less, eat less, eat less. You must eat enough. I have worked with so many people whose problem was that they were not eating enough food, meaning that they were doing the low-calorie thing, which the body's constantly sending out starvation signals because we're not nourishing the body. Right, So, the way to do intermittent fasting correctly and to create more space in your days is that when you do eat, it's not about overeating, but it's about getting all of the right amount of nutrition into your body and not letting that toxic diet culture belief slip in, which is like, oh, I've got to not eat for longer and I've got to eat less and you know, you know, deprivation, restriction. Anything that comes from that place of deprivation or restriction, we want to work through that emotionally because that is not going to help. So, fasting works and is healthy and effective when you're eating enough. And the food that you do eat should not cause nutritional deficiencies in the same way starving or low-calorie or terrible diets do because the food that we guide you to consume through the program is all about nutritional density and all about making you feel satiated. Shouldn't feel hungry. Shouldn't feel hungry. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. 
I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. So that's the three difference between those classifications. So it's important to understand those. Now, the next thing you might have said to yourself, so this is number two, or even experience, is that intermittent fasting messes up your hormones. And just like any health intervention executed for the wrong reasons in the wrong way at the wrong time, of course it messes up your hormones, which is why you should have some professional direction. And if you're looking for that, then please head to the link in the show notes down below and we will get you on track. So, hormones. We're going to discuss a few here. I want to start with the obvious, one being insulin, which spikes in the presence of carbohydrates and sugars when you eat them. Insulin isn't bad, right? None of these things that naturally occur in the body are bad. We just have, we've just kind of different companies have hijacked them. So, they're not bad. It has an important biological function. However, the frequency of which we ask the pancreas to release insulin due to our diet is for almost everybody that I know too often. This is why intermittent fasting is great for weight loss, obesity, and diabetes, but specific to women uh, that have PCOS, which is super important. So, uh, you know, any women that have any type of hormonal uh, reproductive organ problems, this can be relevant too, but particularly PCOS, which is really, really, really common. So, women that have PCOS, it's found that 70% of those women have insulin resistance, and a good portion of them are you guessed it, diabetic and obese or pre-diabetic. And so, it's actually been, PCOS has actually been referred to as uh, diabetes of the ovaries, which makes a lot of sense because a lot of women that remove the sugars and carbs, get intermittent fasting going in the right way um, and do the diet right, not just carb elimination is not doing the diet right. You need to make sure you're getting the nutrition in, um, can actually reverse and even recover from PCOS, which is amazing, right? And this all happens though, because insulin inhibits estrogen. Estrogen facilitates ovulation. And thus, if estrogen is blocked by the fact insulin is up all the damn time, because we're eating bloody six to 11 times a day, which is the latest data out of America. Uh, that's a lot of times, right? It's basically eating once all day, (laughs) never stopping. Um, then anyway, ovulation doesn't occur because when the egg is trying to be released, if all the right hormones aren't there because insulin's blocking them, then the eggs don't form soundly and, and as they should. And sometimes they're not released properly or at all. And that can increase the risk of an ectopic pregnancy and problems, of course, with your cycle. So in this instance, assuming that the nutrient density and energy volume is in the food, then intermittent fasting will benefit your hormones. And I've actually seen people use this approach to get off metformin that they were taking for their PCOS, which is pretty cool. Who knew the body was designed to fix itself? <laughs> it's like almost an illegal thing to say in 2021. But Managing these hormones using intermittent fasting can be helpful to the states of your body, again, as long as it's done smoothly, smooth, one tweak a week. You know the mantra. If you're new here, that's the mantra, (laughs) one tweak a week. All right, thing three, the next thing I want to touch on is body fat percentage and the hormonal signals that come with that. And it's different between naturally lean women, naturally curvaceous women, and overweight women. And curvaceous and overweight are not interchangeable. 
They're not interchangeable words, although you can be both. So the general rule of thumb is that women that are under 20% body fat are going to have a different hormonal profile to those that are over 20% because a good body fat percentage, a healthy body fat percentage, and healthy doesn't mean low, a healthy body fat percentage tells your brain that your body has sufficient stores sufficient resources to produce a baby. And remember, below 20% body fat is where hormones can go haywire for some people in a bad way, even causing loss of cycle known as amenorrhea. But also, this doesn't mean that being, you know, having more body fat percentage is better, better of course. Everybody has their balance, hence the concept of a healthy body weight and having a healthy fat percentage based on the structure of your body. And where optimal sits for you is going to be different for most of the friends and family that you have. Women are so unique in this regard. However, if your fat stores drop too low because you're going too hard with starvation or 1200 calorie diets or have image-based motivations to get skinny for your Instagram, then your hormones are likely going to suffer that consequence because your body does not want to risk having a baby or getting pregnant at a time that you do not have the resources to support your life and the life of a growing baby. So, this mechanism is actually a good thing. You want that body fat percentage situation to mess up your hormones because getting pregnant when you're low on nutritional resources by logical definition increases the risk of giving birth to a baby with lots of problems and of course increases your risk of illness, disease and death as well. Speaking of not having enough resources available, if you're fasting incorrectly or doing it too much around the ovulation phase, so days 11 to 15 when luteinizing hormone surges, which is when the egg is released, or if you get to the phase of your cycle and your body fat percentage is too low, then you will raise cortisol, the stress hormone. Now, quick disclaimer, although we call it the stress hormone, it certainly is not always bad. But in this instance, cortisol is telling your brain that there's stress in the environment and basically saying, now is not a good time to be pregnant. And it's important to note that lean women have higher spikes in cortisol because there is a bigger risk of things going wrong if pregnancy was to occur. Because obviously, if you're naturally lean, you have less fat stores in your body. So, your body regulates this a little more stringently than somebody that naturally is curvaceous in nature, right? So, that cortisol interrupts the egg release process so that you don't get pregnant in theory. (laughs) Don't quote me on that one because the body works in mysterious ways. (laughs) But that's the theory. So, the reason context matters with cortisol, just a quick one, is because it actually aids fat burning. But cortisol in the presence of food stores fat. So, it's, you know, it's all context dependent. It's the same with many of our hormones. I should add, if you keep fasting too much or too extensively and not putting enough food into the body, back to this volume of food conversation, volume of energy, cortisol stays up for too long and begins turning into fat. And the general fat that you've got in your body or that's already there turns into visceral fat, which is the fat that wraps in and around the organs and is definitely the worst kind of body fat. However... This moves the conversation into the stress management and release topic and and the reason that belly fat is associated with stress is that for many people, cortisol and adrenaline are the reason their belly fat is there at all and it's so hard to get rid of when people go on a weight loss journey. It's like the last thing to go because most programs, most doctors, most people don't realize that stress 
managing cortisol is a part of their weight loss journey at all. And so most of these systems and programs and offerings neglect a stress management or download phase or tool at all, which should be built into your everyday life, not just while you're doing a program because otherwise, guess what? It's all going to come back. There's also another hormone worth mentioning here in this conversation about body fat percentage and how your uh, cortisol and stress hormones respond to your female reproductive hormones in order to... uh, Uh, set up a situation to produce a baby or prevent your body producing a baby. There's also another one and it's called leptin, right? It's really important this body fat percentage conversation. So, leptin is known as the satiety or the full hormone. So, when you feel full, leptin's doing its job. So, there's ghrelin on the other side. So, ghrelin's the hunger hormone and you remember that by imagining your stomach rumbling, ghrelin. (laughs) Corny, but it worked to remember it at uni. (laughs) And then the opposite is leptin. So, leptin is released by your fat cells and sends the message to your brain that the fat cells are sufficiently full, they're plump, they're happy, and there are plenty of goods in the tank for you to have a normal hormonal profile in order to create a baby. And then the brain says, all right, let's stop eating. We're done. We don't, we're not hungry anymore. Ghrelin goes down, leptin goes up. However, something that is of increasing concern for many women is leptin resistance, which can be brought on by three main causes. One, again, here we go, too much stress, too much stress. Uh, and you're probably nodding like, yeah, life's stressful. It is. Like as a woman, I don't know how you do it, but that's why we need to introduce stress management mechanisms and make that a normal thing. Self-care is not selfish. Number two, Too many refined sugars, therefore leading to high insulin. So, that's another reason that leptin resistance can happen. And number three is the hippocampus is damaged. So, the hippocampus is in the brain and receives the leptin signals, but high sugar, refined carbohydrates and vegetable oils, aka the things that are in most people's diets, seriously destroy this part of the brain. So, it's like sending a letter in the mail and burning the post office down. It's not that leptin, the fat cells, did not send the leptin message to the brain. It's that the brain didn't receive them because the fat cells were like, hey, we're good, we're full, stop eating. However, the brain was like, well, we don't know what's going on because the post office got burnt down. We didn't get your letter. (laughs) So, these are three reasons why leptin resistance can develop. And these three things here, and this is just three, there's others. uh, These three things might here might tell you why you can't stop eating even when your belly is full and you consciously and logically know that you should stop eating. Your brain says, keep going because the leptin signals are not coming through or they're not coming through very loudly or clearly. So, you can see now why or how, why and how food and beverage companies hijack your biology because the sugar leads to high insulin and the high insulin reduces the feeling of satiety or or being full by way of interrupting leptin functioning and so overeating happens and you spend more money at the supermarket. Crazy, right? Now, when we're supporting leptin functioning correctly, intense or extensive fasting is not a good idea during the time in the cycle where you're ovulating, so roughly days 11 to 15. And why is that? Simply because, again, that's the time when the egg is released. So, the body needs to feel abundant in its nutritional resources. If we really have leptin resistance at that time, then the the brain doesn't know that it's a good time. The body's stressed. So, managing leptin resistance or leptin function in that 11 to 15 day period of ovulation uh, can be beneficial. We also need leptin to be low in order to trigger lipolysis, which is a fancy word for fat burning. And this explains to some degree why a keto diet can be a good way to prepare before getting into any type of new fasting protocol or when you start fasting, 
picking certain meals throughout the day that should be low carb or ketogenic. And further to that, if your last meal before the fasting window is low carb, you'll move into low leptin levels and thus fat burning sooner. Whereas a high carb meal will launch leptin levels, again, Leptin's not a bad hormone, but in this context of this story, we want to keep it lower. And so, if you have a high-carb meal, it will launch leptin once you're full and it will take longer to move that into the fat-burning space. However, however, this is the thing with women's hormones. There's always a but. (laughs) In my experience, many women, not all, but many, need nutrition that comes with carbohydrate foods. And by carbohydrates, I don't mean grains and refined carbohydrates that come in a bag, a box or a can in the supermarket. I mean real, whole real foods. Jeff, just eat real food, right? I believe that many women need the nutrition that come in these types of carbohydrates to support their cycle. Anyway, I'm, not, I'm going on a tan- I could go on a tan- another tangent here, but this episode's going to get long enough. <laughs> There's so many things to talk about. Maybe I should just do this as part one. Final thing, final little disclaimer here. When I say low carb, I definitely do not mean no carb. If you're cool with going full ketogenic, awesome. You do you. However, most women that I work with, I think benefit from carbohydrates. Uh, so, the overall point here is that leaner women should do less intermittent fasting. And in fact, for some women that are quite lean, and that this is actually what I do myself personally, not that I'm a lean woman, but <laughs> I'm relatively lean, it may be better to have a 24 to 36 hour water fast between once a month or once a quarter. But I'd get some guidance on how that works and how you should build up to it. It definitely is not a thing you should just try on a whim or, or you'll be paying the price by overeating like a mad person when you start eating again which totally removes the reason that you fasted at all. But some leaner people prefer not to uh, intermittent fast at all. Well, I mean, we're all intermittent fasting every day by definition, but some people decide not to consciously intermittent fast on a daily basis and then just do a monthly or a quarterly water fast. That's basically, that's kind of what I do most of the time. Um, But again, especially as a woman with hormones, especially if you've had children, you really should get some guidance on picking the spot in your cycle that that works well if you want to do that or try that and it's okay to experiment not everything works for everyone but exploring the possibilities for your body is also a useful data collection exercise but yeah find someone to work with and to clarify as well if you have a healthy amount of body fat or even too much then as long as you know how to do if uh, around your cycle and how to eat properly it's most likely going to be beneficial to your hormonal profile and begin moving that Uh, leptin resistance and managing that cortisol in a way that benefits your body fat percentage. Number four on the list here is I often hear about people concerned uh, with intermittent fasting slowing their thyroid function down, particularly with women, uh, and that it's going to lower your metabolic rate. Now, there's certainly people with thyroid issues that have had them partially or fully removed or toxins in your environment are a really big thyroid interrupter or disruptor. Um, Yeah, toxins are really, really impactful in this space, which causes functional issues. There's no doubt about it. And perpetual experience with with low-calorie or starvation diets or diets that restrict entire food groups like vegan or green smoothie diets are all going to confuse or damage your thyroid function. There's no doubt about it that that's part of the equation. All of these things can negatively affect your thyroid. And then when you go to the doctor and get a handful of devastating drugs and they tell you, you'll have to be on these forever uh, and don't talk to you about nutrition, you're not in a good space. If the doctor says that, find a naturopath to work with alongside your doctor. I'm not negating the fact that Western medicine can be helpful here. However, I certainly know a number of naturopaths myself that work very successfully with thyroid issues. So 
at least get a naturopath to work alongside the doctor or exclusively work with a naturopath with thyroid issues. Anyway, in the context of intermittent fasting, your thyroid, right? So, like most other organs in your body, it switches on when you need it. (laughs) You hear people say all the time, this goes back to the six meals a day thing. They eat all day to keep your metabolism up. So, yeah, your thyroid function will reduce when you're not eating. And guess what? When you eat again, the thyroid function will increase. (laughs) If your metabolic rate stayed the same when you were and weren't eating, none of us would last a week. (laughs) The body would just burn itself up, right? So, when there's a change in incoming nutrition, the metabolic activity goes up because the thyroid says so. However, of course, disclaimer, too little or too much of anything is never a good thing. So, we want the natural ebbs and flows of thyroid function to match the natural ebbs and flows of your eating cycle, right? And your intermittent fasting cycle. We don't want to go too extreme in either direction, particularly in context of where in your menstrual cycle you are. If you want to keep your metabolism up when you're not eating, it's best done with physical exercise at the right time of your fast instead of continually eating high sugar, high carb, high vegetable oil foods all day, which yes, keeps the thyroid ticking over, but also fills the body with fat and inflammation. And that's a raw deal. Nobody wants that because we end up fat sick and nearly dead. And nobody wants that. Hence, this podcast exists to point you in the right direction. (laughs) Number five. Because you as a woman are cyclical by design of nature across each month, then that's the approach that will fare well for most women with intermittent fasting. If you just dive into it hardcore intermittent fasting overnight, go extreme, it will only take one cycle before you notice negative impacts on your sleep quality, hair thinning, low energy, your cycle might uh, be out of whack, you may notice a few other things. And don't get me wrong here, when things need to change, there's likely going to be some discomfort and some unexpected experiences that are not always fun. That's part of growth and I think if you're expecting a perfect transition from where you are now to a better place, I don't think you're going to get very far. (laughs) However, ideally, a happy balance between moving at a pace that allows the body to adapt and change in the way that you want it to we call it one tweak a week, as I've mentioned, and moving at a pace that minimizes the discomfort you're likely going to experience at some point because nothing is perfect. I think that's the approach. You know, there's a happy medium in there somewhere that on some days isn't so happy, but is a necessary part of the journey. And given that women have fluctuations during different weeks with estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, luteinizing hormone, HCG, prolactin, all of these types of female-specific hormones in the context of their menstrual cycle, there are different times during different weeks that intermittent fasting might be better compared to men. Not always. I work with tons of women that have a solid intermittent fasting schedule and flourish. I also work with other women that need to be really flexible. And for instance, in the week before you bleed, as you're probably aware, I obviously don't have a period, so you probably know this better than me, but in that week before you bleed, often sugar and carb cravings go up and you want to be eating these different types of foods. And the thing is, that's okay, you know? You don't want to be beating yourself up for that. You want to have a flexible plan because having flexibility to consume these foods from time to time is really important because the stress you would otherwise add to the situation if on top of like a super rigid nutritional plan is, you know, and beating yourself up with the quote unquote, I'm failing at this. That process is actually more damaging and worse than opening up the eating window a little sooner and satiating that nutritional requirement. 
that is a better thing to do because you don't hit the spiral diet culture button of I'm a failure, this isn't going to work, I shouldn't do this. You've got these different feelings happening on different weeks and you've got to honor them and work with them in ways that are flexible so that you can achieve the outcome because otherwise every time once a month we're going to hit the diet culture button of feeling like a failure uh, because we're trying to be super rigid and we're going to go down the drain. Basically, things are just going to fall apart and then we'll be back here in a month and we don't want that. We don't want that. And this this next point sort of talks to that. So, number six that I want to share with you is if you don't deal with your emotions and mindset about yourself, intermittent fasting won't save you. In fact, no health intervention will because you haven't created an identity within yourself that behaves in a different way to the way in which you got into the problem that you're trying to solve. There's a quote I love here and it is, we can't solve the problem with the same thinking that created it. It's the same with your self-identity and personality. Things need to change, but not in a way where you need to use willpower because willpower will last you, what, say days, weeks, maybe a couple of months, and then you'll slingshot back into the person you were before, before you started. This is the reason that most fad diets work for people for a duration of time and then basically, you know, they have identity and personality withdrawals. They don't recognize themselves and the behaviors that they're doing. And so, once they either quit or finish up, after however many weeks they've been doing it, they go even harder on being who they were before and gain back all the weight or gain back the health problem plus some more kilos, plus some more problems and then say, oh, intermittent fasting doesn't work or, oh, that naturopath's terrible or whatever they say, right? Basically, they were so emotionally distraught by acting and behaving in a different way that wasn't someone that they identified with that they slung shot back into who they were. This is another reason that one tweak a week is so important with your personality upgrade. You have to evolve and transform who you are emotionally and from an identification standpoint so that you feel comfortable behaving in this different way and happy letting go of the behaviors that the old you had. Otherwise, you won't sustain any diet, any health plan, anything that's good for you basically. And this this is the same deal with cultivating healthy relationships, not attracting the toxic guy, you know, all of the things that might um, degrade your experience of an, you know, of an amazing life. So, I'm going to wrap this up and maybe I'm going to call this part one, I think. Um, so, the big take-home message here uh, that I'd love you to take from this episode is that intermittent fasting does not fare well for people when there is a cocktail of chaos, stress hormones, nutrient deficiencies, toxin-loaded food intake, cycle irregularities and toxic relationships. It's not just intermittent fasting that won't help you. Any attempt to get healthy at anything will fail because this cocktail of chaos is not your friend. (laughs) Though you might need to acknowledge that over years, you've become somewhat attached or addicted to that chaos. If that's the case, then start there. This personality mindset upgrade, which is a significant portion of the program that I run, uh, is all about that, the mindset and personality piece and identifying who you are, getting real with it, confronting it, and then upgrading it. And then in the middle there, we also do the health, nutrition, intermittent fasting stuff as well, as long as the personality is prepared to adopt it, right? All right, gang, this has been a longer than usual episode for a solo one. I hope you've gotten a lot out of it. Um, like I said before, I think I'm going to call this part one uh, because there's a there's so much. There's so much to talk about and I'll do another one soon. So, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and got a lot out of it. And if you have, then I'd love to hear from you. And, you know, please share this episode with a friend, sister, daughter, mother that needs to learn more about today's content. And if you're feeling the vibe, please take a screenshot of this episode and pop it up on your social media. 
and give me a tag at Maddie Lansdowne. I love to see who's watching and listening and doing all the things. And I hope you've loved this episode. I've loved putting it together. There's so much more to share with you. I literally could have talked for days. <laughs> There's more coming. Uh, anyway, links to everything that you need is in the show notes below. So get down there. Come join us. Let's make this fun. All right, gang. I'll catch you on the next one. See ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast or whichever app you use and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.